Pretty song. I don't think I'd heard that before. Good to see you today at Trace Creek Baptist Church. Welcome you here. I'm glad that we're able to share this day together as we open up God's Word to the Gospel of Mark, chapter number one. The Gospel of Mark, chapter number one. And we're going to look in verse 21 uh, through verse 28 today. 21 through 28 in the Gospel of Mark. And I do continue to encourage you to read. Uh, during the week, throughout the week in this book and read and read and reread, read and reread, read this book uh, throughout the upcoming weeks and months as God would just open up this to our hearts and our lives. Mark one twenty eight. the Bible says this, and they went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who art thou, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commanded he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad all throughout the region, round about Galilee. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks that you've invited us to come to your throne of grace. And Lord God, we come today with thanksgiving in our hearts for your goodness and Lord for your grace that you have extended and that you do extend to us moment by moment. Lord God, I know as we come together today, there are many, many different needs in this place today. Lord, we come from all different experiences and backgrounds and Even this morning has looked different for each and every one of us. God, as we think about that, Lord, we thank you that you're the God of all grace, you're the God of all comfort, you're the God of all mercy. So, Lord, no matter where we find ourselves today in the circumstances of life, God, we know that you're there, we know that you're still able, and Lord God, above all, that you're a good and faithful Father who loves us unconditionally. So, Lord, today our prayer is that your spirit would minister to each and every heart. God, that I would be filled up so that I could be poured out today. Lord God, here among your people and that your spirit would teach us, your spirit would draw us to yourself today. And God, that's my prayer for us. But Lord, I also pray for those about us today that are out preaching the gospel, churches that are meeting in your name today. God, throughout this county, I pray for that you would move. I pray, God, that there would be a revival among your people, God. God, among our county. God, among our state. God, that our nation would come back to you. And God, as I pray that collectively, that only happens individually. So Lord, for everyone, for everyone under the sound of my voice today, I pray that we will leave here today being solely and wholly surrendered unto you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Today, as we look in this text of Scripture... Uh, One probably that you have visited at some point in your life, maybe one that you are uh, familiar with or, you know, oftentimes we're pretty good at reading through the gospel, so maybe you're uh, quite familiar with this text of scripture. But you know, if there's anything that is one thing that is abundantly clear in the gospels, it is that Jesus, that he was a man with authority, great authority, all authority had been given him, according to what we see at the end of Matthew 28 there. 
and the great commission that all authority has been given unto me is what Jesus said. And so as he ministered among people that it, Jesus personified authority. And he had that authority and it was present because of what he was. And it was present because what he said, what he was, and what he said. Those two things really are what make up the authority that Jesus, that he operated with. And I think that both of these, what he was and what he said, are both tied to one thing, and that's truth. Truth. That he was the embodiment of truth, that he spoke truth, and that his life, uh, that it was thoroughly true. There was no inconsistencies about it. That from beginning to end, his life was true. And so, who he was and what he said was so powerful because of truth. And that's still the same today, that as we look to uh, have power upon our lives, as we look to live with authority and, and be authoritative in our life, it's going to rest on the fact that we are people of truth, through and through, that we are people of truth. So Jesus, he spake, he lived with authority, which was tied to the fact that he was of truth. And so as I talk about truth, I'm meaning truth as found here in this book. That's truth. And there's a lot of other things that people uh, rely on today and look to today, and they say that that is truth, and, but all that they are relying on is their human ingenuity and things that they have come up with in their own thinking. But truth is always comprised and only comprised with the Word of God. Now, as I think about the life of Jesus and that he uh, spoke truth, he embodied truth, and that he was a man with authority, we may think, well, yeah, that, that's all well and good, and we, we, had, we believe that, but what does that mean for me? What am I supposed to do about that? I would concede that you and I, that we are not going to uh, live on the same plane as Jesus, but I think that we would have to concede that in that thought, that we would have to say that you and I, that there is more to following Jesus than most of us are experiencing today. think that we would have to concede and say that is a reality, because if what you and I commonly experience, if that's all there is to following Jesus, it's a disappointment. Say, Ronnie, how can you say that? Because I know you. Because I know me. And there's a lot more to it. He has better things for us. That we're to be living in the Spirit of God a lot more than we currently and presently are. Say, Ronnie, you don't know me. You can't say that. I do know you, and I can say that. Yes, that's reality in our life. But I want us to see as Jesus, as he operated in authority, that he desires that we operate in authority. That spiritually speaking, that churches in Graves County, I, I was, you know, I'm not going to go any further than that. Let's make it more specific that our church is filled with anemic people spiritually, spiritually speaking, that we are weak and that we are without power and that we live with authority, without authority. Very seldom, very seldom do we even talk the talk, much less walk the walk. And that's really where we're at. And I think that this text today, it reminds us of that reality. I'm concerned with what I observe. I'm concerned with what I experience personally, that oftentimes it's very empty, pathetic, lethargic, spiritually speaking. Now, not all of, not all of us are going to leave here today admitting that. Some of us are going to rebel against that. Some of us are going to get puffed up and buck up about that. And that's all right. But that's where we're at. That's where we as humanity are at. And I think that the church, I think that Christianity in America is evidence of that fact. And, and as leaders and as preachers, 
And let's just drop it right there that the preaching in America today, the preaching right here, wherever, that oftentimes we have to confess that we don't have the spiritual oomph that last year's two-liter had. Friend, that, that's where we're at. And so from time to time, we must be reminded of that and know that God has more for us than that. How are you and I ever going to impact a community? How are you and I ever going to impact a generation if we walk around powerless in our life, powerless to affect change in the generation that we live in? So today in this text of Scripture, there's two things here that we see. In verse 21 and 22, we see Christ's authority as evidenced by his mighty preaching. Christ's authority is evidenced by his mighty preaching. And then secondly, we see Christ's authority as evidenced by his miraculous power. By his mighty preaching and his miraculous power. Verse 21, just kind of get our mind here. And they went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and he taught. Now we are... 21 verses into this uh, book now, and we have here in this text become fully engaged in the ministry of Christ and what he is about, uh, out and about doing, and what he intends to do uh, for the next few years. Uh, in, our, in our introduction, I told you that uh, more than likely this is, a, uh, this is what Peter in his personal experience, had, had, had witnessed and been a part of, and that he has conveyed this and spoken to this, uh, of this, to Mark. And Mark, that he has pinned this down. And really what we see here today, I think, is the testimony uh, of Peter. So Peter uh, himself, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, that they are there with Jesus, they are ministering, uh, they are following after him. They are just trying to really get their feet wet, so to speak. They had been ministering some already, uh, according to the other uh, Gospels, but now they're, they're here in Capernaum, which, has, uh, which becomes Jesus, his, his main, uh, his main uh, place to go out of. It becomes his home. It's already the home of these guys. And, and so this becomes the center of his operation. Now, uh, we see that he was in Capernaum, this little fishing village that was on the northwest uh, corner of the Sea of Galilee, just a couple of miles from where the Jordan River uh, flows into that uh, lake there that many people would make their living from. This was a one of about of a dozen little fishing villages and towns that would surround uh, this lake. And so uh, as, the, as the story progresses, we see that he enters into a synagogue there. And uh, just, you know, if you're into this sort of thing, know uh, that you can go there today. And most people are thoroughly convinced and believe that the synagogue ruins that you go there today and see that they are built upon the actual site of the synagogue that this took place in. In the book of uh, Luke, I believe it is, it tells us there that this synagogue, that it was uh, there because of the generosity of a Roman centurion. Uh, remember that story that he lay sick and, and he just he called for, for Christ to heal him. One of the, his servants went and called for Christ to heal him and said, hey, this guy's been generous to our country. He's built a synagogue. And because of his faith that Christ ended up healing him, there Johnny on the spot, lickety split. And so that's a little bit of what we know about this, about this synagogue. Luke chapter 7 verse 4 and 5 is where you can uh, find that story there. But, but whatever, this synagogue, uh, just to kind of get you up to speed about that, this synagogue, it was not the temple. Uh, it was never intended to be the temple, but uh, that it came in place some centuries before uh, during the Babylonian captivity 
when they were uh, not in their homeland anymore, when Solomon's temple had been destroyed and it was no longer an option for them to worship at the temple, that the synagogue was put in place so that in small gatherings of people that they could come together and they could pray and they could hear the word of God being read and what a precious commodity the word of God was for those people. You and I that we sit here today with the Bible in our lap or with words on the screen, one on your dashboard, one on your coffee table and on and on we go. But these people did not have that and so there was just one copy here and one copy there. And, and so they come together and they cherished hearing the reading of God's word. And then a, a rabbi or, or the leader of that synagogue that they would take time and they would expound that text of scripture or possibly a visiting rabbi or teacher who was who was traveling through would stop and that they would give them an opportunity to teach and to share and so through that custom uh, that Jesus was afforded the opportunity many times to share in the synagogue. It was also how that Paul found opportunity from time to time to go into towns where he didn't necessarily know anyone, but yet he could go there and that he could teach and preach the gospel. And so that's why this was such an important place. This is why that we find Jesus in the synagogue uh, from time to time. So he went in there in verse 21. He entered on the Sabbath day. He entered the synagogue and he taught. So know that Jesus, that he thought the Lord's day was a special day. And that he expected people to be there. And so he went there to teach. All right. So those are some assumptions that you see from the life of Christ. That when the, the house of God, the people of God teach the word of God. All right. That isn't rocket science, is it? One, two, three. That we see those things. The people of God, the house of God, and teach the word of God. And that's the, what we see, the pattern that Jesus used here in order to dispense the truth to them. And so, but today we see that Jesus as he entered and that he taught and that you know we don't have we don't have any notes he didn't have any handouts he didn't have any powerpoints or bullet points or anything like that we don't have any record of exactly what Jesus taught that day but we do know then 22 and they were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes so we see that he taught them doctrine he wasn't up there telling them you know about a good book he had read this week and how they need to check it out as well all right he wasn't telling them about the latest thing that was happening in the city he taught them doctrine doctrine is the word of God he took the word of God and he taught the word of God that's what Jesus did he taught the word of God now it says that he did that it was unlike anything that they had ever experienced before. It says that they were astonished. That means to strike with panic or shock. To strike with panic or shock. Now some of us have heard sermons that struck us with panic or shock, but not in a good way. This was a good way. This was an awesome way. That Jesus preaching... That his preaching was the greatest demonstration of the power of God that they had ever experienced in their life. It was unlike anything you and I have ever experienced. Why? Because everything about him was true. You see, every time that you hear a preacher preach the word of God or a teacher teach the word of God, that there is not a one that you've ever sat under that has been 100% true. Why? Because we're sinful. Because we don't always embrace truth. But with Him, there was no inconsistencies. No inconsistencies in His life. He was pure. From top to bottom, 
So that power, the power that was present that day was off the charts. It's unconceivable by our imagination. Let me ask you, don't you think there had been good preachers and teachers that had made, made it through Capernaum before? Don't you think some of the best had made it through that area before? Yes, they absolutely had. They had known great and powerful preachers, so to speak, and teachers, rabbis that were well known, had been where Jesus had stood and they had spake at the very place that Jesus spake, but they had never experienced what they experienced when Jesus came and taught. They had never seen the, the manifestation of the power of God. The Word of God had never been so clear. The Word of God had never been so simple. The Word of God had never been so powerful as when Jesus taught it you see we as preachers and teachers sometimes we we like to uh, let everybody know what we know and how we've studied and what we've learned and what word we can say and what person we can quote but when we see this text of scripture this is an unusual text of scripture and that there had never been anyone else like this you see, the rabbis of that day, that they would come in and they would quote, they would be quoting all the, the well-known speakers, all the well-known teachers of that time and of that culture and of that day. But not once did Jesus ever say, let me tell you what Warren Wiersbe had to say about it. Not one time did Jesus ever say, let me tell you what David Jeremiah said yesterday on TV. Never had to do that. He spoke like no one else has ever spoke. Someone said he preached God's Word. He didn't preach about God's Word. That gives me chill bumps. He preached God's Word. He didn't preach about God's word. With Jesus, there was never no, never, never no, there was never any second-hand theology. You know, sometimes, and you, you know it's a fact, I'll admit it, from time to time, I come to a text of scripture, and I'll say, let me tell you the best I can come up with, but I'm not 100% sure what this means. Jesus never said that. And any, any faithful preacher of God would have to come to that conclusion from time to time. That I'm not 100%. This is what I think it means. But Jesus, that he never came to that conclusion, that he always knew exactly what was being said, that he never referenced a commentary or a book or a Bible dictionary or any of these things, that he preached God's Word. So... When Jesus got finished preaching, everyone left understanding exactly what he meant to say. That may be one of the greatest definitions of great preaching that there is. When everybody leaves knowing what the preacher meant to say. And I believe that that defined the ministry and the preaching ministry of Jesus. It wasn't in big words, it wasn't in theological lingo that the common person had no idea what he was talking about. That Jesus, I believe, in superior simplicity, he preached and he taught the Word of God with conviction, with clarity, and with great confidence. And so, I believe that our goal in 2019, in almost 2020, that's the only year I'll have 2020, I'll tell you, is our goal and our desire as preachers and teachers of the Word of God is that we have the power of God on our life and that we preach and that we teach with God's authority. You know as well as I do that that isn't always the case. We don't always sit in Sunday school and say, boy, that guy's got the power of God on his life. He's teaching with authority. 
We don't always come in here and, to, and hear me preach the Word of God and say, oh, oh, Ronnie Jr., he's got the authority of God. He's got the power of God on his life. But every one of us, teacher, preacher, layman, however you want to label yourself, it doesn't matter. Each and every one of us who knows Christ as our Lord and Savior, that God's desire for me and for you is that our life be so centered around and anchored in truth that our lives be so consistent in who we are and what we say that we have His authority on our life. And that, that's heavy to think about. That, that's big. But yet we see it demonstrated in the life of Jesus and, that, and we, as we see this text develop on at the end, we see that it made an impact on their lives. It made an impact on their community. So, we see his authority is evidenced by his mighty preaching. And look in 23 through 28, Christ's authority is evidenced by his miraculous power. And there was in their synagogue, 23, a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who, art, who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. So, as it so often occurs, no sooner do we experience a great outpouring of God's Spirit and seeing Him work than then there comes an evil spirit. Paul Chapel and I kind of alluded to this the other day we were talking. That, you know, you can, you can be a part of a great, a great service. You can, you can preach or you can teach and you can feel the nearness of God when you do that. And you cannot, you can be removed from that from 30 minutes and you'll know that Satan's attacked you. You just, whoo. You'll say something boneheaded to your wife. You'll get in a knockdown drag out. 30 minutes. 30 minutes after you just preached and felt the power of God. Hey, Ronnie, is that, not, does that happen to you? No, I'm talking to you about somebody else I know. Yes! If Melanie wasn't here, I could lie to you. But you know, God's presence, it was real then and God's presence is real today. And God's presence was known, it was real in that time. And what do we see here? We don't see the specifics of it all. But Jesus, as he speaks God's word, and he does it in a powerful way like had never been experienced before. See, the, the other teachers and preachers, they had taught God's word, but they had never stirred up the devil. But here we see such a powerful move of God. We see the genuineness of the preacher come through in such a way. It's kind of like, you know, when you, you're in a, I was in a, I was in a house one time, and we started moving furniture, and, and those cockroaches started. That's how it is with Satan sometimes. You turn the light on, he starts scattering. You turn the light on, people start to get uneasy. Start to get uncomfortable about the way things are. And that's how it is when the light of God's Word starts being shed. When the, the light of God's Son starts being really shown for what it is. This feeble uh, instruments of clay that we keep, we quit hiding him under a bushel. And he gets stirred up. And this guy, he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. What he heard and what he sensed was more than he could take. He couldn't stand it any longer. 
He takes and takes because he couldn't take no more. And there had to be something. There had to be some way. You see here, he was aggressive. He was defiant. And that's Satan's way. That's demon's way. Now, I hadn't thought of it a whole lot, but I was reading this week and one writer said oftentimes that these demons, they just, they try to lay low. They try to lay low as they can. They want to go undetected. That's their desire. I don't know all about demonology or what, I don't even know if demonology is a word. I, I just made it up maybe. I don't know. I don't know all about that. I hadn't, you know, dove off into that. I think I, think I know enough. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way. But I think oftentimes they lay low in their lives and they try not to rear their head too much, just do their business and try not to cause commotion about themselves. But this guy, this demon, this defiant being, said, let us alone, what have we to do with thee? Thou Jesus of Nazareth, art thou come to destroy us? Now, as he says, art thou come to destroy us? This was not a sincere question. This was an act of defiance. You come here to destroy us? Defiance. Not subjection. Not surrender to his power. Satan lives in constant defiance of the greatness of God. Constant defiance of the glory of God. Constant defiance. And it's real today. The devil's real. Satan and his little, in his little minions, they're real. Demons are real. Now, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where they're at. I don't know where they're hiding. Don't know where they're busy at. But there's plenty of them to go around. All those that sided with Lucifer and their attempted coup of heaven. All of them. All of them are now currently actively involved in trying to destroy the kingdom of God knowing the whole time that they're not going to do it and their time is limited and they are in subjection to Almighty God. They know it. And yet that doesn't squelch their defiance. And here he makes himself known he uses his name, Jesus of Nazareth. And then he goes on to say, the Holy One of God. There's a couple of things I want to make note of here. Everybody always questioned the fact that Jesus came from Nazareth. It was a nothing of a place, of no significance. Wasn't really any great teachers who had ever come out of Nazareth. So, this demon that he was insulting our Christ said, Who are you coming out of Nazareth? Think you're going to approach me? Trying to insult him, getting his little lick in. And then he says, You're the Holy One. A couple of people that I was reading this week and it brought this to, our, to my attention. It wasn't really something I was really keen on. But he said in, in ancient civilizations like that, and especially among those people who are some, sometimes considered to be a superstitious in some ways, they, their belief was that when you called someone's name and you addressed them in, by name in that, sort of, in that sort of situation that it gave them some sort of power over them. And so this, this demon that he was in hopes of exercising some sort of power over Christ, but yet we see that that isn't what happened. Far from it. But it gave Christ an opportunity to once again to demonstrate and to exhibit the authority that he was living by and that he was ministering by. So, 
When you and I today, as we think about ministering and, and teaching and preaching and whatever we do, that this text, it reminds us that we are in a spiritual battle. Baptists don't like to talk about that. They think that's for, you know, they think that's for the holiness or the Pentecostal or Assembly of God or whatever. Friend, make no mistake about it that we are in a spiritual battle, a battle that is still raging today and a battle that has not let up since Jesus was walking on this earth. I had a man leave this service one day and ask me if I really believed that demons were real. Yeah, a man sitting in this church. Ask me if I believe that. No, the spirit inside of this man was speaking through him. He had taken up residence there with him, that man inside of him, using him. Unclean spirit, that's an interesting term. Verse 23 there, it says that um, a man with an unclean spirit, that literally says, in an unclean spirit. The spirit was in the man and the man was in the spirit, the unclean spirit. He was possessed. The devil was in the driver's seat of his life, being controlled by. This morning in Sunday school we talked about, you know, be not drunk with wine wherein is in excess, but be you filled with the Spirit of God. It's talking about control, that you and I are controlled by something. Are we controlled by the Spirit of God or something else? What is it? Which is it? Now, as we think about this, some call it superstition. Surely they don't believe that we're so primitive, that we're so naive, that we are still like Neanderthals walking around, that we believe in spiritual beings. Yes, I do believe in spiritual beings. Why? Because Jesus believed in spiritual beings. That's a good reason for you to believe in it. Because Jesus believed in it. If there is no such thing as demonic activity, then Jesus was a lunatic. If there's no demonic activity, then who is he talking to? Who is he corresponding with? Who is he flushing out of that man if there is no demonic activity? So... We see it even today. You know, I, I can't say that I've been in the presence of that. I may have, unbeknownst to me, I don't know. But it's still, you still see and hear reports of that from time to time. I don't believe all of them, but I believe some of them are probably legit. Really do. It's a reality. We need to know that. But I want to say this quickly, that I don't believe that when we're talking about a Demon possession, don't leave here uh, thinking that, you know, I'm saying that somebody who uh, has a, some sort of chemical imbalance, don't leave here saying, Brother Ronnie says, my, my, my wife's possessed. Okay? It's not, don't go there with me. No. I'm not saying who someone who has been wounded psychologically in their life, I'm not saying they're possessed. All right? But I'm saying there are. Genuine possessions, okay? That happens in a genuine way. And the, the, the Gospels tell this from time to time. So he'd been controlled. Let us alone. You come to destroy us. I know who thou art. But what's Jesus say? 25, Jesus rebuked him, saying... Now, I, I want you to get the picture here as you... You know, as we, we think of mild and lowly Jesus here, this wasn't, this wasn't no limp-wristed Jesus here that was facing off with this demon. This was Jesus, the, the powerful Son of God. That he, did, he wasn't up there trying to negotiate with this guy. He looked him square in the eye, face, face to face, and told him to get out. To shut up and to get out. 
Hold thy peace. That word means to muzzle. And some translations literally say to shut up and get out. Did you see another side of Jesus? Some that popular culture don't like to think about or believe existed. But when it come time to get up close and personal, Jesus wasn't afraid to do it. When it came time to be involved in spiritual warfare and battle like this, that Jesus, that he was the man, he was the God-man, he stood toe-to-toe, and just like we saw that he did in the wilderness last week, that once again, that he proves himself everything that he claims to be and that he is ultimately victorious over the devil every time. That's who he is. Who he declared himself to be, and that's who he showed himself to be. And so this defiant demon, when Jesus spoke the word that he had no choice, he had to flee, he had to get out because of the authority that Jesus had on his life. When the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out. Can you go there in your mind? Can you go there and see that encounter? Can you put yourself there as Peter or James or John? Can you imagine the intensity of the moment? When the power of hell, the power of God, they collide. That was a tough day in church. But we see the power of God being victorious, not stumbling. It wasn't, Jesus didn't know how long it was going to be. He knew. He knew as he spoke the word what would happen. Look at the last two verses. And they were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commanded he even the unclean spirit, and they do obey him. And immediately, again, there's that word, immediately, his fame spread abroad throughout the region of Galilee. Now, let's wrap this up today. In saying that there is no one, there is no nobody, there is no situation that is too tough for God to handle. There is no intensity that is too intense for Jesus. There is no demonic activity that is so powerful that God is not more powerful than. Boy, there's some things that we encounter in life and that we look at that and say, boy, devil's at work in that. Do we not? Yes. Oh, the devil's working. Yes, I believe the devil's working, but let me tell you that we serve a God who's bigger and badder than the devil. That's where we are. And we need to be reminded of that. Because we as Christians, that, that we've got the woe is me mentality oftentimes. Oh, woe is me, us poor believers. We're living in a terrible time, in a terrible day, in a terrible nation, in a terrible world. Oh, what are we going to do? We're going to trust God. We're going to trust God who's able. We're going to trust God who's still more powerful than the devil. That's what we're going to do. What else can we do? What else should we do? What else is better to do than to trust this God who proved himself over and over again that he has authority over every evil being that there is? Authority. Thank God for that. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Amen? Yes, he is. There's no heart that's too hard. There's no person that he can't reach. There's no one that he can't set free. 
from the bondages of their life? No one. The same question that's been asked throughout the ages from the Old Testament to next. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? No. There's absolutely nothing that is too difficult for the Lord. Now, are we to be out, you know, trying to, you know, do exorcisms? No, I don't think that's our business. I think my, our business is to be doing evangelism. Not exorcism, evangelism. Spreading the gospel. Sharing the good news. Sharing this hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's my, my personal understanding, belief, is that Satan cannot inhabit somebody who belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. So our job needs to be worrying about people getting born again, getting saved by the power of God. We don't have to worry about them being, you know, indwelt by any demon. Now, I believe the devil fights us all, but he ain't going to take up residence as long as you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not going to do it. So, for these four new recruits, they got to see firsthand. Firsthand of the power of their God. They got to see firsthand what God desires to do in the lives of people. Yeah, are we, are we going to be like Jesus? No, but we need to look more like Him than we do. We need to be more like Him than we are. I was this morning in my, in my chair, uh, just making a few little notes here and there. Um, I thought of that, that old song, Higher Ground. You know that God has some higher ground for you and for I to walk on, for you and me to walk on. A higher plane. Then I have found, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. See that there's higher ground for the children of God. That we need to be living truth. Living truth, talking truth. That we be people that live with authority. Not our authority. Tony Evans has a book the name it's got Kingdom Authority, I believe it is. Kingdom Authority. See, we have authority because God is authority. And then when we live under His umbrella of authority, then we can live and exercise authority day in and day out. So my prayer for me, my prayer for you, is that how, whatever we're doing, whatever aspect of life that we're involved in, whether it you know, be out at, at home, we live in authority. Exercise authority. Hear, preach, teach, sing. Authority. When I say authority, I'm not saying, yeah, like some, you know, us, us preachers, yeah, I'm the boss around here type. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that we've got the power of God upon our lives so that we don't have to be saying, I'm the boss. We're just living and operating under the Spirit of God in such a way that we have authority, living in authority, that we are reminiscent of what Jesus did. Reminiscent of His life. His life through mine. His life through yours. So, when you don't have anything else to pray for, or you pray that your preacher would have the authority of God upon his heart and life. We do that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these moments in your word today and for the very important reminders that we've gotten. Lord God, I thank you for the reality of the Scripture and that it doesn't, uh, it doesn't talk about things that are out there in left field somewhere, imaginary things or 
that sort of thing. But God, it talks about real life and where we are and God, how that you would have us to live and preach and teach and just day-by-day stuff. And God, I, I think and believe that when we do that, that it'll cause a stir. Oh, Satan, he'll rear his head every now and then because of it. But God, also that the community in which we live, thou hear of what God's doing. It won't be a secret. It won't be a secret any longer, but people will hear that God's at work among the people at Trace Creek Church. So Lord, I I pray that for us individually today that we would look at our lives and God, that you would make it plain, that you'd give great clarity and God, bring it with conviction in our hearts and lives of what's going to best honor you. So God, help us to embody truth and God, help us to talk truth. That our lives from beginning to end would be consistent with truth and that's really what it's all grounded in Lord God for someone today who needs to be set free someone today who can say that Satan has them in bondage and has them bound and has them beat up God I, my prayer is that today that you'll release them God that you'll Break them free. For that person who's never been born again, who keeps hanging on, saying tomorrow, keeps hanging on, saying, well, it's not for me. God, that in your love that you would draw them, that your love would break through those lies of the devil. And God, that you would bring them to a place of salvation in their life. God, have your way is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.